National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. NAVA in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. Hi, I'm Brianna Munting and I am the Deputy Director of NAVA. And for this episode, we're at Cementa 17 and we're speaking with artists and curators about their experience in regional New South Wales. Cementa is a biennial Australian contemporary arts festival that takes place in Candos, a small regional town located between Lithgow and Mudgee in central west New South Wales. The region provides the backdrop to which artists make, exhibit, perform work relating to the social, historical or environmental context of the town and its surroundings. Cementa 17 is four days and nights of performance, sound, cabaret, interactive and electronic arts, video, installation and ceramics that are presented at more than 20 venues in and around the town of Candos. In this podcast, we chat with Ian Millis, co-director of the Candos School of Cultural Adaptation on the responsibility of artists in making change, Alicia Lonsdale on being an artist and working as an Aboriginal Arts Development Officer at Arts Out West, artist Nicole Welch on working and living regionally, artist and academic Sarah Waterson about recreating a climate from Borneo in a hothouse in Candos. And finally, Anne Finnegan, one of the co-directors and founders of the Cementa Festival. Please be aware that this was recorded in Candos on site with many of the artists, which included in gallery spaces, nearby parks or cars. So there's often background and ambient noise directly from the streets of Candos to you. who actually is an artist. It's not necessarily the people who make stuff, uh, make product and content for the art world. It's people who actually generate cultural change. I'm Ian Mills. I started out painting big geometric abstraction in the, in the 60s, but then went very quickly into conceptual art. And then by about 1971 or 72, I was basically doing what was an early version of social practice where I worked with community groups and individuals and recruited people to actually act out my work or in fact slowly it turned into real life stuff which involved working with community groups and green bands and trade unions and, and inner city urban activism. As much as being political activism it was also cultural activism. It was about making things that changed people's ideas of how the world worked, you know, which is the the, pre, the prelude to political change, really, and legal change. And so it was always focused on, on you know, the sort of cultural side of it. I didn't make works of art of it. Um, I worked, I used artist skills to work with people and produce things which generated, you know, worked in terms of their political campaigns. So when I was asked to do stuff for Candos, 
uh, it partly grew out of work I'd done in other country towns like Lithgow, and it was out of the frustration of some of that stuff, you know, how do you actually make different sorts of country towns in a time of climate crisis. And so I basically invented a different Candos and made a publicity poster for a Candos that didn't exist. And everything on that poster existed, it just didn't exist in Candos and included things like a university, a Candos university, which had a school of cultural adaptation to work out innovative ways of dealing with climate change and industry problems and you know all, all of that whole range of issues we're facing. And that poster was around everywhere during the 2013 one and still now, three or four um, cementers later, it's still around everywhere. It's actually up on the street there now, you know, as we talk. And the bit in the middle, the, the School of Cultural Adaptation, various people like Gilbert Grace really picked up on that idea and wanted to make some of the things that were in it as his artworks. And slowly we developed a group, a whole group around it. And that group has been doing a whole range of work, including Futurelands, which is the the, action, the, 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 the thing that happens in the alternate years to Cementa, and it's much less focused on art, even though it involves artists, it's much more focused on, on um, farmers and the local community and, and the, the regional, the really local regional community. The first one, which had about 15 people at it, um, was about artists working with coal mine activists, anti-coal mining activists. The second one, which was about farming, had 200 or more people at it and could have had another 200 people at it because it got completely booked out really quickly and went for two days instead of two hours, like the first one, and, and was a major, major event. Um, and so we've got a newspaper, a 50-page newspaper, or simply all the discussions that went on at that. And that was about reinventing concepts of agriculture, basically. How you integrated radical agriculture and radical ecology with traditional Aboriginal practices and a whole range of economic and ecological and philosophical issues that, that, that we basically have to face at this point in time. We basically tried to redefine agriculture and we did it with, it wasn't the art world that did it, we did it with farmers, you know, like we did it with, with radical farmers and, and radical ecological thinkers and with people who, whose job was to um, fund, fund and promote innovative businesses. And so, you know, it was really large scale, real world stuff. So a fair way away from the normal art. Particularly places like Candos are microcosms of all of those problems. You, you might think it's just a country town, but it's an industrial country town, you know? It's a one industry industrial town. That's why it exists, and it exists in a rural environment. And I, I mean, I went to live in near Lithgow for 10 years, partly because, um, I, well, I, I could choose that place because I'd spent some of my childhood there and had relatives there and knew the area. But the reason I chose to do it was, I thought if you're going to actually um, fight climate change in some way or another, you actually have a responsibility for the people who actually their lives are, are based on climate change. They're, you know, they're coal miners, they're, you know, they're real people and they have their own needs and they have families and they have to live. And So if you're going to 
argue against all of that for obviously very valid reasons, you also have to work out how you're going to make the transition and how you're going to help those people make the transition. And so these country towns, which are dependent on things like coal mining or, or other forms of mining that are, are problematic, you need to go there and actually, and, and you don't go there and suggest they should also become artists, you know, that's, that's not the deal. But you go there and you try and, you know, work out, you use your skills to try and help generate other stuff and to help lead discussion in various ways, you know, that, um, to stuff that they mightn't know of, you know. Um, and sometimes you get a well-deserved punch in the face because, in fact, they know far more than you, so you shouldn't be arrogant about it, but, but you can bring elements that they don't know, so... And, and that's that's the responsibility you have. You know, you've got to actually bring everyone along with you that you can. So, so these are the places you come to to do it. The, the best thing you can you can do in some ways, and I mean, and and the Kendos School illustrated is you start with a little idea, which might be just one or two people talking about something, and it turns into a movement. And Futurelands has become a movement. And the Kandos School is still like six or seven people, but it could be other people if they want to come and join in. We just basically brand the things we do with it. You know, we don't we don't control each other or anything like that. Um, but we sponsor various things like like Futurelands, and then people go and do it of their own accord. Forget you even had anything to do with triggering it off, which is the ideal. You know, like that these things just become a thing of their own and develop a life of their own. And the whole there's been a hell of a lot of stuff around radical farming and need to change farming practices, but we've managed to produce a very focused version of it, um, which I think will generate a lot of further discussions and might actually trigger some really serious action. So. Oh, artists don't have any responsibility. You know, it's like, like I mean, in a sense, the responsibility of artists is to be irresponsible. You know, it's um. um I mean, I, I tend to not think of think of artists in that sort of sense. Just say, look, anyone who's actually being culturally innovative is an artist, you know, whether they call themselves an artist or not. You have to actually play at everything. You have to have every crazy idea you can have. You actually give everything you can think of a run, no matter how silly. Because sometimes the really silly ideas turn out to be the ones that actually have got the solution buried in them. Somewhere inside them is the solution to a whole lot of things. And so it's about that sort of creative play but it's also about real world results you know you've actually got to do things you know get things out there do them see how they play out you know and and hopefully you know you have some result on things and you influence things it could take years and years and years it was 38 years before between my proposed agriculture exhibition and it actually happening you know it can take a long time and you basically in a sense, you're often faced with, do you want a standard art world career or do you actually want to do something real? And the problem, that's the problem you can run into as a result of it. Doing something real might actually lock you out of that standard art world career, but it's probably, I always think it's a more valuable thing to do, even if it's harder. So that's your responsibility. Be wild and reckless, waste your life, you know, behave badly, you know, upset everyone, you know, behave as badly as possible. For me, it's being able to give a voice to what I'm feeling and thinking, but also to do that for other people as well. Uh, so my name's Alicia Lonsdale, and 
and I'm a Wiradjuri woman from Mudgee in central west New South Wales and I'm a visual artist um, and the work I predominantly have been doing is in installation and sculpture. So my day job is um, an Aboriginal Arts Development Officer for Arts Out West which is a regional arts board. Um, so that's really good because I get to travel across the region and work with artists and communities and support them. It's a fantastic job and, and the network is really something that I think for regional artists is important. So a day next week is driving to Condobolin to um, take back works to the women's group out there. So they have a sister shed that does weavings and they've had an exhibition down at our gallery space at Hartley. So I curate that as well as part of my job. So. Next week I'm taking back what they didn't sell, um, so going for a day trip to Condo. <laughs> there was three works that I did and they're actually at the um, Ralston Community Arts Centre at the moment, so it's timed well that it works in with Cementa. Um, so one of the works was about, it's called Exposed and it was looking at identity and how for Aboriginal people their identity is put up there as this... Um, I guess false idol that that's the only thing that makes you who you are and sometimes it can be very confronting that that people are sort of hung out to dry and it's it's just put, put on that um, another work was um, renew so it was sort of looking at that we all face we all face challenges and things that affect us um, um, but they kind of shape who we are and if it wasn't for those things it wouldn't be who we are so I looked at the scribbly gum and how um, that has all of those marks from, from um, insects but also that eucalypts like drop their, their bark. So um, it's basically fabric which has like the markings of the scribbly and then it's got the it's fallen bark at the base of it. And then the third work I wanted to do something that kind of wasn't around identity um, because I don't think Aboriginal artists just need to focus on Aboriginal specific issues like just be in the box all the time so I actually looked at um, deforestation across the world so for me I know that's something that I do is that I use my artwork to say things that I may not be able to say necessarily verbally um, you know whether that's talking about coal mining because you can't really sit at the table with a mining company and and they don't want to hear that but I guess using my artwork is another way to say it um, and then even down to yeah to so, for instance, I did some work that was about um, out kids in the out-of-home care system. So I'm a carer for, for my sister's kids. And you don't. it's not a culturally safe space when you're just a carer to be able to say what you necessarily think. So for me, I couldn't say what I thought, but I could show that through my artwork. And that was really interesting because I didn't put any wall text to explain the work. But it was interesting to see when people came in that were kinship carers like me, they got the work straight away. They were like, "That's, I totally get that. That's exactly how I feel. So for me, it's being able to give a voice to what I'm feeling and thinking, but also to do that for other people as well. I think the biggest challenges are access. So whether that's access to information, access to opportunities, access to good internet and mobile coverage, that's a really big thing too, which I noticed that with Cementa that was put on their Twitter feed that, you know, if you haven't got Telstra Optus, you won't have phone service. So that's, a, people often don't understand that, but that's the thing that, yeah, can really have an impact. Um, 
I think being isolated from other artists, particularly that are doing contemporary work, um, is another challenge as well. And probably the perception that there's not a vibrant arts community out here. Well, for me, it's not you're not in that rat race. You don't have those other distractions. And I think for me, for a lot of my work and the artists that I work with, they get a lot of the inspiration from being on country and um, maintaining their connection to country and, you know, whether that's down to the materials that they use or the issues that, that we face. Um, so for my work, we live in an area that's um, got major coal mining as an industry. And so you can draw inspiration from that because it's something that affects not just Aboriginal people but people in the community generally. So I think that's, that's a really big positive from being regional. I think in terms of regional artists, just putting themselves out there, um, not being afraid to try different things. Like I put my hand up for the Left Field Project. Um, I put my work into the, the New South Wales Parliament Art Prize. So I think taking the opportunities, even though it might be terrifying. And then in terms of, I guess, overall change, I think it's institutions and curators, particularly from Metro, thinking outside of the box, thinking beyond the sandstone curtain. There's a wealth of artists who have a lot to say, who are just as good as artists who are in the city. And there's some amazing people, which a snippet of a showcase here, but we've got um, so many vibrant and interesting artists who, who have found their voice and are doing amazing work and just need the opportunity to show that. Um, beyond the region to show what we have here. We're not the poor country cousins who, who just need the helping hand up. Um, we have a lot to say and we, we just need to be given the opportunity to, to put that out there for people. The best advice I got when I was part of the West Farmers program in Canberra was that to do one thing a day that scares you. So today that's my interview. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the regional box on forms and applications is a really important thing. But in terms of the label, I think uh, I think that's where it, it its purpose starts and ends, really. My name is Nicole Welch, and uh, I live in Bathurst, and I'm a media artist. My practice is um, media-based, so I work with photography and video and thematically I'm interested in investigating um, landscape and in particular Australian landscape. So this region of Candos and the surrounding uh, country is central to my practice and my work. Uh, it's a self-portrait, it, it um, is a time-lapse and it's a performance that I undertook in the landscape. I'm a little bit shy so I I thought about doing a performance here at Candos, but then when I thought it through, I, I was more comfortable to do the performance in the landscape, lay on a large rectangular mirror and record it um, as a time lapse. So I was laying there for over an hour holding a pose, trying not to move, which is virtually impossible. And then the time lapse, the figure disappears and the time lapse continues into the night with the skyscape and stars passing over. 
So with this work, I'm draped in a uh, 1880s Chantilly morning shawl, and that shawl for me is symbolic of the environmental devastation that we're experiencing with climate change and also specifically in this region because of the mining and industry and pre human presence um, that exists here and, and what that has cost in terms of wilderness. There, It is a wilderness region and it's known for that but it's actually been fairly damaged and there are a lot of species here that are endangered or like the Regent Honey Eater critically endangered. Um, so the shawl for me is, is a symbol of that loss and mourning for what was and that idea, that beautiful notion of wilderness, which is a myth. It's, I mean, we're surrounded by country here, landscape here. Um, this is a community that is, uh, that really has developed off, um, you know, the commodity of, of farming and, but it also has an interesting um, it has another element with the cement factory, so it has industry here, which um, is a landmark in, in this country, and we have a lot of mining, um, so these communities have existed because of that. So it's, it's an amazing place in that you have wilderness zone juxtaposed right alongside industry, like mining, and, uh, and that, for me, is the interesting part of the human um, element in the landscape in my work. So the video work has the audio of the wind uh, in the external world, so out in the landscape, and the separate audio track is an internal soundscape of a wolf howling uh, for about a minute. So it's a lone wolf recording. It hasn't been edited. It's it's a single lone wolf recording from start to finish um, and that for me is symbolic of the European um, notion of wilderness uh, the wolf the European wolf is connected to the to the woods the idea of something frightening and unsettling in the woods um, and the unknown and that notion of wilderness is something that we've projected onto this landscape and uh, the Australian landscape when Europeans came here and I think in our psyche it's it's ever present um, on a personal note, the wolf is also symbolic of uh, lupus, which is Latin for wolf. So um, it's an illness that I've had for, oh, I think, oh, I've lost track now, which is probably a good thing, but around 13 years. So for me, this work was a way of acknowledging that experience. When I'm in the landscape and I'm working and I can see that there's this environmental destruction um, that happens because of human presence, I couldn't help but reflect that to my own body and the breakdown of my own ecology and environment, you know, internal environment. I think acknowledging the personal in an artwork for an artist is challenging. I, I believe that all work is autobiographical, whether you acknowledge it or not. Um, other people might disagree with me there, but I think we put so much of ourselves into our work intentionally. Um, but when we choose to do it intentionally, certainly in my case, it felt courageous, um, but quite frightening. Well, cement is huge. It's really huge for regional artists and not just myself, but I've got, 
you know, a couple of other friends here with me um, who've shown at Cementer previously. And for us, it really is this amazing opportunity to connect with um, people in the art scene that we don't know. So we might know of artists through social media and um, and watching things from afar, but but we can't we we don't actually know these people. We can't get to openings. We are not connected directly to organisations. So we might email back and forth or be known to organisations, but the opportunity to meet and to network um, and to show work amongst peers and to engage and discuss and see, I mean, it's, it's very important and extremely enriching for us regionals, although we don't like to um, label ourselves that way. Well, I think the regional box on forms and applications is a really important thing. So, uh, you know, we accept that there is that box and it needs to be ticked if you're going for a grant or an organisation is getting funding to do something with regional artists. Um, but in terms of the label, I think uh, I think that's where it, it its purpose starts and ends, really. I think uh, we there are disadvantages to being out here for sure, but we see a lot of positives as well um, to, you know, the cost of living is a lot lower, obviously. Uh, the the influences are slightly different, so we don't see ourselves as outsiders, or at least I don't see myself as an outsider. I'm very aware of what's happening in metropolitan art or internationally, and that's the great thing about the period of time that we're living in. You know, you could be a regional artist and have an international profile, um, and that's because of the internet and the way that um, communication is set up. So we used to talk about in feminism, you talk about a glass ceiling. Out here, we talk about the glass wall that appears somewhere past Katoomba and just before Penrith. And uh, all of us regionals are pressed against that wall. You know, let us in, let us in. It seemed to be there and we couldn't sort of break through into the metropolitan art scene. Very hard to get representation and very hard to get um, shown in um, different institutions or organisations. But that's really shifting. Uh, Personally, it shifted for me through representation with um, May Space, formerly known as Brenda May Gallery. Um, and she, you know, she's been really great in supporting my practice and giving me a profile in Sydney. And without that kind of support, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't have been able to make four shows in five years. So it's been really important for me, and I'd like to see that opportunity available to more of my colleagues um, and it doesn't have to be through commercial spaces it can be through um, other initiatives of institutions in Sydney engaging with us more getting us to come in and access resources space to show our work um, and networks that's really important so I think sometimes with that box when institutions metropolitan institutions are ticking it they're thinking of what they can send out into the country to culture the region, um, to culture the community. And on the other side, we're thinking we want it, we want in. I'm surprised that people are surprised that I would want to grow a Paphia Pillum Rothschildianum. It's a beautiful orchid, come on. I'm Sarah Waterson and I'm based in Sydney and I have a practice in what was called New Media Art.
The work I'm presenting here at Cementer 17 is called Hot House. And inside the house, I'm running an Arduino board to control some weather. The weather's coming in from Mount Kanabalu in Borneo to create an ecosystem to grow a Paphiopedilum Rothschildianum. I guess the exchange value is kind of interesting for this and to take something out of its natural environment. The amount of technology to, that I've set up to sustain it is quite incredible. And for me, it's more of a comment on colonialism and the transportation there, but also the impossibilities of technology in saving our ecosystems or pretending that, yeah, technology can do something about this. The amount of inputs that have gone into building this house is quite incredible. It's taken me over a year to do, kind of design it and get it working. And it's not an ecosystem. It's one plant in one flask inside a cloud environment. Um, it won't propagate itself, so there's a little fly that propagates the orchid in... Borneo, so yeah. When I was thinking, when I was invited to come to be part of Cementer, I was, I was trying to think of a work um, that would make sense to me to make here, obviously. And for me, this idea of um, locating something other than yourself somewhere else. So for the Paphiopedilum in the thing, we're, tra we're transporting it to here, we're setting up an environment for it to thrive, or, you know, bring the weather in from Borneo for it to thrive. And for me, that's kind of what I'm sort of doing as an artist here. I'm coming in, I'm trying to have a shared cultural experience with the people coming to the to Cementa and the locals, and it's kind of like this transposition of something somewhere else. So a bit of a colonialist activity, really. In terms of keeping this orchid alive, I'm sure many growers around the world in their glasshouses can have a specimen of the Paphiopelum Rothschildianum. But what does it mean for that orchid to be alive in their glasshouses if it's not in its natural environs? It's not. It still needs to be attended to. Somebody has to propagate it with a, a brush or whatever, or there's no other plant life around it so it's not part of that ecosystem anymore so I don't I think that we all think technology will save us one day yeah it might give incursion we might not have to have um, things that pollute the environment or whatever but we in terms of recreating natural habitats I think that is not something that we can do I think the cybernetic thinkers you know the 1920s and around that time all thought that if you knew all the inputs and outputs of a system in the system, you could actually re reproduce it. But all of the experiments that they did, and the one with the buffalo grass that comes to mind, were all failures, abject failures. It didn't matter how many inputs they had. It didn't matter if they cut open the stomach of the buffalo to see how many grasses and species that it consumed and weighed that and kind of worked out that it, it actually failed. It was a bit abysmal failure because ecosystems are quite erratic and they're random. And I think in this day and age, we're sort of thinking that system thinking will save us and I kind of think it doesn't matter how much data we have or whatever, we still have a failure. So of course, Cementa, Documenta, Perspector and there was a bumper sticker, Cementa Friendship. Okay, so I'm Anne Finnegan. I'm one of the uh, co-directors of Cementa Contemporary Arts Festival in Candos. 
and I discovered this town one sunny afternoon around about 2009 fell in love with it it was like a film set empty streets two o'clock Gary Cooper high noon sunlight on the escarpment so within about half an hour we'd met all these artsy people in town we were then introduced to the nuttings we decided it was kind of art friendly and hence we you know we persevered with the building so I just started out with uh, a sort of very low-key residency program so it was just sort of friends um, David Haynes and Joyce Hinterding moved in over the road into the kind of wet studio and David was making perfumes experimental sound Josie and Leon came you know Stas and Chemelsky and because I've got a background in kind of you know uh, film and digital arts media arts we, we kind of had that electronic arts presence in the town and then through Margaret Roberts who I'd worked with at Artspace uh, she came up and she was with the uh, Williams River group and they'd been doing some activist work up in the Williams River and so they started making activist works working with the coal mining expansion in the Bailong Valley so we kind of had a really good cluster of people just working in the town and and we just decided, well first of all, before I met Georgia and Alex, I probably had about 20 artist projects already happening in town. It was just sort of, you know, serendipity, blah, blah, blah. And they just happened to have index. And I really like some of their artists, you know, like um, Gilbert Grace with the Art Cycle uh, project. I really like Diego Benito, the forage food stuff. And there was a guy called Peter McGuinness who dropped out, who would raid railway sidings and people's backyard fences for grapes and make his own really really bad wine and he would hand paint the labels it was undrinkable <laughs> but I just absolutely loved the project so um, you know we just kind of realized that we had all this work and nowhere to go so there's already a wonderful contemporary art gallery down the road in 47 I've never been interested in minding the space I've never wanted a gallery so we just used to put things in the windows and mix it up with, you know, the local guy from Ralstone who had a tribal art collection. You know, we did all kinds of stuff, the high school things. It was sort of, you know, community plus artists doing things. So this American dude came to Candos and he was telling us how he had bought a place called Venice outside of New York so he could have his own Venice Biennale. So of course, Cementa, Documenta, Perspecta, and there was a bumper sticker, Cementa Friendship. And we were all in love with the cement works, which had just closed. So the festival was quite an organic thing, basically because we had worker and artists waiting in the wings, you know, all dressed up and nowhere to show. And the people in the town were wonderfully supportive. And there's a wonderful councillor called Esme Martins. She checked me out at Down the Tracks Cafe, decided I need to be checked out even further, <laughs> came and bailed me up for two hours in Candos projects decided you know we were kind of legit enough we were three directors which is really unusual three co-directors um, I in particular didn't want anybody to be in charge so I suppose we're kind of quite anarchic and the idea is we just talk till we agree sometimes it's really fast sometimes it takes a long time as you can imagine and uh, you know I'm very happy with that process you know it's, it can be a bit time consuming but and it's a little can be a little bit messy at times, but you know I'm happy with that. It's very important that we develop the culture, grow the culture of contemporary art, 
A lot of our artists do workshops in the local schools and that's very important. We also have ones for primary school children like Michael Petrovsky did a hacked electronics workshop, Tina Stevens did a drumming workshop. So we really expand the uh, process. Damien Castaldi and Solange Kershaw did a, an Arduino project. So it's about kind of skilling up. And, and since we came here, Deluxe were part of the first one. They've done a lot more regional works. So that whole thing of, you know, how do you bridge the regional urban divide? The salon was always just going to be anybody can bring anything and we will hang it. And we have to do that to welcome everybody. At the same time, the other, the funded part of the festival uh, has to be curated. So that's how we try to, to balance everything. So through our workshops and we have other exhibitions during the year, uh, not always here, but sometimes in other places, uh, that's how we kind of, you know, foster the development of, you know, various projects, you know, sort of mentoring regional artists along. And the whole idea of bringing the city artists into this environment so the work relates to this environment. We're not just parachuting stuff in. So every so often an artist might come for a while and not really develop a work which responds, but at least the artist has been here. But I would say out of all the artists we've shown in cement, it must be, you know, at least 180 by now. There'd only be three or four who have made work specific to candles. We don't want to overstate who we are or what we're doing. I think simply by bringing this kind of artwork into town it expands people's kind of perception of art and the people in town they just oh I'm really excited about what I'm going to see you know it's this unknown factor they like this unexpected way the way artists can sort of um, revision the landscape or reshape your perspectives and I think that's a really good thing to bring to a country town just expands the horizons and I think that's a sort of slow thing yeah, I would just love it to be, you know, like, like sort of, you know, a documentary in Castle. There are kids who've grown up in Castle, they've grown up with the festival. Wouldn't that be great? Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations. Thank you.